Well, this is our last uh, message of the Advent season. Of course, we know that Advent seasons are just sort of this artificial kind of thing that we do for four weeks up leading up to um, four weeks we, we do leading up to Christmas Day. But um, in fact, uh, the term Advent has a bigger meaning than, than that. It's, it's the period of waiting, the period of waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And, and as such, there's two Advents, right? We, we celebrate now uh, the Advent of the first coming of Christ. But we are living in a period of Advent because we are waiting for the coming of the Messiah again. We know that Christ will come again. And so my intent in, in, in my messages to you in this season of Advent has been to marry those two, to marry the idea of uh, the lessons that we can learn from the first Advent and the people that lived in that dark time um, and, and, and learn from those lessons and apply them as people who are living in the second period of Advent who are waiting for Christ's return. Because as we have noted, um, the similarity is rather stark in the conditions of our world. Um, as Isaiah said, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. I mean, these are dark times. We live in a dark world. And just as those who were anticipating the coming of Christ the first time we who are waiting the uh, arrival of Christ the second time are living in a dark world. But today I want to just focus on something that distinguishes these two advents. And it's critical. It's so important. It's monumental, really. Uh, the difference between the experience of those who lived prior to Christ's war, birth and those of us who are living after the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus who are waiting for Christ to return. John the Baptist, and I, I, I hope that, that you've been getting this idea from my talks, uh, of the centrality and the important role uh, uh, that John the Baptist played. He really was the bridge between that first period of Advent, waiting for the coming Messiah, and um, declaring the beginning of the second Advent. That was what... Malachi, who was the guy, the last prophet of the Old Testament that we've, we've been looking at, um, that's exactly what he said. John the Baptist, he didn't know his name, but he said there's a one coming, and what he's going to do is he's going to make way, make the path straight for the coming Messiah, but he's also going to uh, declare the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which is the second coming of Christ. So he brought to a close, John the Baptist, that, that quirky guy out in the wilderness. Um, he brought to a close the first advent, but he announced the second. Let's just take a look at the first few verses of Mark's gospel to see John in that context, in that light. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. That's quite, an, that's quite a statement. We just kind of skirt over that, but look at that. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He was a wild man. And this was the message, his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And this is really important. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And if you read Matthew and Luke, actually, they say, in quoting John the Baptist's words, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, they included. So John the Baptist was emphatic about the difference between him and the Christ. And his purpose and the purpose of the one he was preparing the way for, the Messiah. And that purpose can clearly be delineated by looking at the difference in the two baptisms that John the Baptist mentions. He says, I will baptize, I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. A huge difference in those two baptisms, water and fire. John's baptism was a symbolic representation of repentance. People came to him and, and, and acknowledged that they were sinners and that they, they needed forgiveness. And he would baptize them. Nothing mysterious or mystical happened in the dunking of those people in the Jordan River. It was an outward demonstration of what was going on in their hearts. So it's largely a symbolic method of demonstrating their repentance and, and their seeking forgiveness. They're seeking washing and cleansing. But it also was really important because that is exactly what was required for people to hear what Christ came to offer and the baptism that he brought. Because John is, is, is very clear, you know, I, I'm not the Messiah. I don't even deserve to, 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 to tie up his sandals. Um, he is far greater than me. I baptize with water, but he baptizes with fire, uh, in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so that difference between that baptism and water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire was also part of that sort of that um, comparison that was being made by John the Baptist in the difference between him and the greater ministry of the Messiah and the greater identity of the Messiah. So Jesus came offering a greater baptism, a baptism of fire. It had hugely different implications 
this baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. Then baptism in water. And it indicates quite truly the difference between the experience of those who lived before Christ's salvation and saving work on the cross and those who live after Christ's work on the cross. So I want us to just take a quick look at that this morning. You see, when we are converted, we hear the teachings of Christ, we hear the gospel, we hear of what he did for us, that he came as a penalty to take upon himself the penalty for our sin, to take upon himself our sin and then to die for us. When we, we accept that, we, we, we have to repent. First of all, we have to acknowledge that we are sinful and we need a Savior. And so we repent. But when Christ baptizes us in the Holy Spirit and fire, it's, it's not a symbolic thing as the water baptism is. It is a real vital change in a person's life when we are baptized um, in, by the Holy Spirit and in fire. When we give our lives to Christ and we accept his salvation, we are then and there filled by the Holy Spirit. And that does remarkable things for us. First of all, we receive his presence. God himself is in us, dwelling with us. And secondly, that presence of him being in us guarantees our eternal future. <coughs> so when we are converted, when we confess, when we accept forgiveness from Christ, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And as he does, we receive God himself in us. And secondly, we have a deposit, a guarantee of a future with Christ in eternity. This is what Paul was writing about when he wrote in Ephesians 1 these words. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So when we are converted, when we accept God's gift of forgiveness through Christ, we receive God himself and his presence, the Holy Spirit in us, guarantees our future. Now compare that, if you will, to those who lived prior to Christ in the first advent. We know that for over 400 years, they hadn't even heard from God. God had given them the silent treatment for over 400 years because of their sinfulness. They must have thought that he had abandoned them, that there was so much uncertainty. And so that was their experience in the first Advent. And those of us living in the second period of Advent, as we await the coming Messiah, 
We have the Holy Spirit. We have been baptized by the Holy Spirit in fire. And we have within us God's presence and our eternity is certain. And so there is no sense of uh, uncertainty. We know our future. Christ's baptism also enables us to be transformed into a new creation. One that's constantly being changed into the likeness of Christ. We, when we receive the Holy Spirit, are given the power to become like Christ. To have our nature, our character transformed. This is the meaning of fire. Now, if you lived in Southern California right now, your impression of fire is not good. But fire has more functions than simple consuming by simply consuming things or destroying things. Fire also has the power to refine things, to make them pure, to make them perfect. And this is the idea of the Holy Spirit and fire. When we receive the Holy Spirit, he is the fire that purifies us, that gets rid of all of the stuff that contaminates us and makes us, he makes us pure. I want to go back to Malachi because he was the last prophet to be heard of before over 400 years of silence, before John the Baptist came, before the angels, before that even, the angels spoke to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. And broke the silence of God. Malachi said these things. He said, this is, this is what you can expect when the silence is broken and when the, Messiah, the messenger comes and the Messiah comes. He said these words in chapter 3 of Malachi. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of the coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings of righteousness. The offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. And so we see that Malachi, 400 years before the coming of Christ, at the end of the first advent, predicts that the Messiah will come with fire and purify people's hearts. And that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. The Advent scripture that we've been um, referring to all through Advent is from Titus. And I just want to read it because it says the same thing. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and, and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all witness 
and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Once again, this experience is in stark contrast to the experience of those living in that first advent. Those folks did not have God himself resident in them. They did not have the refining power resident resident in them. They had the law of Moses. They knew that they were sinful. They went to the temple. They offered animals. But it was such an act of frustration because they knew that they could never get pure enough through the law. But for those of us living in the second, we have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. We have been purified and are being purified. And so this is something that we are called to do as we wait for the Savior. But there's something else that we're also called to do. So not only was and is the baptism of the Holy Spirit effective in in giving us unity with God, God in us, ensuring our, our future and transforming us, but finally, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's baptism in fire empowers us to, like John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. We, too, become messengers. We've been deputized, if you will, to do the work of preparing the way of the Lord's coming. Jesus said those very, that very concept when he was talking to his disciples We read it in Acts 1.8, just before he left them to go to be with his father, he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we can clearly see then that our experience living in this period of the second advent is very different than those who are living in the first. Albeit we live in darkness, (laughs) We live in a dark world. But at the same time, Christ has come. And we have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he is purifying us. And he is transforming us. We have God resident in us. But I just want to close with another very important distinction between the first and the second period of Advent. And it's actually how they close. The closing of the first advent is what we're celebrating this weekend. It was the end of a period of waiting for the Messiah. Now we we have, uh, well you couldn't fault someone for thinking that the coming of Christ that first time was an enormous occasion in which, you know, everyone was sort of privy to what was going on and it was earth-shattered. But it wasn't, was it? I mean, Jesus' coming wasn't even noticed by the people in this little dinky backwater town called Bethlehem a town in in Israel that was actually a conquered nation ruled by another country, Rome. It was quite 
except for those particular individuals, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. It was quite uneventful. Christ came in humility. He didn't come with a big fanfare. The shepherds got a fanfare, granted. But a very few got the fanfare. It, it, it wasn't noticed. Jesus wasn't noticed. Eventually, you know, word started to get out and people got, you know, even the king got involved. But we know that it wasn't um, something that, you know, everybody knew about. Well, that's going to be very different with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus came in, in humility and he came offering grace and he came offering salvation. That won't be the case in the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ, he will come, and Scripture says, everyone will see him come. Every eye will see him. Every eye. And he won't be coming to spread salvation and grace. His coming will be Judgment. This is why Malachi called it the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This is why uh, we read that he will come and, it, and the people will mourn when he comes again. The second coming. Not those who have, have given their lives to Christ. They're going to be excited. But those who have not given their hearts to Christ, those who have purposely and intentionally rejected Christ or put him on the shelf, it's going to be a dark and dismal day because it's going to be a day of judgment. Let's just read some scriptures. In Revelations 1.7, John, who was given the, given the vision, says this, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Not just a few shepherds. Not just, you know, this odd couple who, who aren't married, who, you know, Nobody knows. They're nobodies, Mary and Joseph. Nobodies. Every eye will see him. Even those, and it's interesting that he, he mentions this, even they who pierced him. Wow. What a day for those guys. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. This is what Jesus said about his second coming. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heavens and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. It will be a great day, but it will be a dreadful day for many people. John 12, 47 and 48 says this. 
If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. That's what Jesus said about his ministry the first time. But look what it says about the second time. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That last day of his second coming. So Christ first came humbling, offering grace and salvation. But Christ's second coming will be glorious and powerful, yes. But it will be dreadful for those who have rejected him. And so we see that there is no time to wax nostalgic. This is what I mean about marrying the first advent and the second. I don't think that I don't think that that it was ever intended the coming of Christ the first time was ever intended to be separated in the narrative from the second coming of Christ. <laughs> but it is easy for us to wax nostalgic at this time of year. Are we supposed to celebrate the first coming of Christ? Absolutely. It's a wonderful thing. In Christ, we have been saved. We have salvation in Christ. This is wonderful. But don't separate the fact from, from that fact that he is coming again. That the first isn't the end of the story. The end of the story is when he returns. And that will be the end of the story. There will be no grace thereafter. There will be no, you know, second, third opportunities. It is a day of judgment. And so... We who have been baptized by the Holy Spirit in fire are negligent if we are not warning people, being salt, being light, being ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, yes, it's a wonderful story, and, 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 and we would be nothing without the first coming of Christ. <laughs> but that's only part of the story. There is a second coming. And it behooves us not to separate the two. And it behooves us not to wax nostalgic and stay in the first advent but to remember that we have been empowered through a different baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire for the purpose of preparing his coming and preparing our brothers and sisters here on earth of his coming. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we stand in wonder at your great plan of redemption. We step back and we can see 
how even before creation, your plan was in your heart. And that you have worked out your will and your purposes throughout history. That you are in control. Even as we've read this day, you knew that it would be silly to ask your father to deliver you from the hour of your crucifixion because that's exactly why you came. Help us, Lord, to be people who understand who we are and what our purpose is as we live in the dark days of this second advent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.